Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Christianity is sometimes described as stuffy or even prudish. Some may say that it takes away our freedom, but does it really? Paul doesn't seem to think so. You are listening to Doesn't Christianity Take All the Fun Out of Life? by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, and I will read verses 13 through 18. That's what it says in your bulletins. But I'm going to start with verse 1 because verse 1 really sets the tone for everything that Paul says in verses 13 through 18. So I'll read verse 1, then I'll skip down to verse 13. And remember, this is part of our summer apologetics series. And apologetics is us learning to defend our faith, thinking about the reasons for our faith that are maybe pushed gently against what some other people say against Christianity. And remember, we're not doing this because we want to fight people. Like everything we do as Christians, our apologetics, our defense comes from a heart of love. Listen to Paul now as he talks about freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now down to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say again, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So um, our topic for today, our apologetic topic is Christian freedom. Christian freedom, which I thought was a pretty good topic for the 4th of July weekend, right? Because this is the weekend where we think about freedom. We celebrate our country's independence. We wear the red, white, and blue, and we we talk about freedom, and we talk about liberty because we love those things. Well, when you hear our passage, it's pretty clear that Paul loves freedom too, It's actually one of the themes that he has in all his writings, and and maybe this is the place where it's most clear. At least a couple of times, he lifts it up high. Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand stand firm then and do not let yourselves be covered again by a yoke of slavery. Not slavery, freedom. And then again in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And he doesn't just talk about it here, it shows up in other parts of his letters too, like 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of this 
is rooted in the words of Jesus himself. Jesus who said, if the Son sets you free, if I set you free, he said, you shall be free indeed. So freedom, we Christians have freedom. Let freedom ring. Beautiful words. But as beautiful as those words may be, I wonder if they fit the popular impressions of people out there when it comes to the church. When people out there, when the world thinks about the church and thinks about Christian belief, do they think of it as a place of freedom? Or do they think of the church as a place of restriction, a place of confinement? I don't think there's much question that regardless of what Paul says about freedom, these true and beautiful words, the impression people have out there is that the church is a place of restriction, a place of rules, a place of confinement. The church is a place where fun goes to die. The church people, they're all sticks in the mud. That's the impression. And you see that impression everywhere. Some examples. Do you remember, and I think you have to be of a certain age to remember this, like my age or, or maybe older, do you remember Billy Joel's hit song, Only the Good Die Young? Late 70s. It's still on the radio today. You can still hear it. And it's about um, a boy who's trying to, well, seduce a Christian girl named Virginia. And here are some of the words. Come on, Virginia, show me a sign. Send up a signal and I'll throw you the line. The stained glass curtain you're hiding behind never lets in the sun. Darling, only the good die young. They say there's a heaven for those who wait. Some say it's better, but I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Darling, only the good die young. Come on, Virginia, says Billy Joel. Your faith is killing you. It's smothering you. You're not having any fun. The stained glass curtain isn't letting in the sun. Come with me and I'll show you true freedom, says Billy Joel. Another example, very popular movie, Footloose. Do you remember how the church is portrayed in that movie? Footloose is about a boy, teenage boy, high school boy, moves from Chicago to a little town in Oklahoma. When he gets there, he finds out that there's no dancing in that town, and rock and roll music is frowned upon, and and the epicenter of those, those ideas, the epicenter of those rules is the church. Well, he goes off to the high school, and he falls in love with a beautiful girl in that school named Ariel, who happens to be the preacher's daughter, and he teaches Ariel to dance and to love this music, and they go off and dance in different towns. And Reverend Moore, Ariel's daughter, is, excuse me, Ariel's father, is not very happy about this, and there's conflict. And by the end of the movie, these dance-loving kids end up changing the church, and the church becomes more open to the music and to the dancing. So the church isn't sort of universally negatively portrayed in Footloose, but there's no question that the church is portrayed as the enemy of freedom, as a restrictive rule-making force. You see it everywhere. 
the church lady from Saturday Night Live in the 80s, the movie Sing Street, the movie Pleasantville, a lot of Simpsons episodes. The church is the place where fun goes to die, a place of rules and restrictions, not freedom. So what's going on? What happened? Why is there this conflict? Why are we not seen as a place of freedom? Well, part of it is because we're talking about different things. People use the word freedom and they use the word liberty, but they don't always mean the same thing. The popular definition of what freedom is out there in the world is absolute freedom from constraint. What Paul says in verse 17, freedom is just doing whatever you want. That's, the, that's sort of the popular definition of what freedom is. Complete autonomy. Church doesn't tell me what to do. Government doesn't tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me what to do. I am free to pursue my own vision of life and liberty and happiness. That's one definition of freedom that you find out there. Freedom completely free from constraints. Well, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to see that that is not what Paul is talking about in, his, in our passage today. That's not Paul's kind of freedom. Paul's freedom has rules. You, brothers and sisters, he says, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. Paul's freedom has do's and don'ts. Don't indulge your flesh. Do serve one another in love. And then later in Galatians 5, if you keep reading, he expands on the do's and the don'ts. Don't, he says, indulge in hatred and discord and envy and drunkenness and orgies. Do practice the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So Paul's freedom has do's and don'ts. It has rules. It has shape. It has boundaries. Mark Lilla found out that Christian freedom was different. Mark Lilla, smart guy, teaches uh, political science at uh, Columbia University in New York City. And in a New York Times Magazine article written years ago, he talked about how he had flirted with Christianity, how he was involved in a youth group, and he almost became a Christian as a teenager. But then he heard the story, actually the one that Mike just referred to, he heard the story of when Jesus met Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was sort of flirting with Christianity, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, that if you want to follow me, you must be born again. And when Lilla heard those words, being born again, he realized that that was a serious threat to his freedom. This is what he wrote. Jesus seemed to be telling Nicodemus that he must recognize his own insufficiency, that he'll have to turn his back on his autonomous, seemingly happy life and be reborn as a human being who understands his dependency on something greater. And that seemed like a radical challenge to my freedom. And it was. He was right, but it was too much for him. He couldn't give up that idea that he could just do whatever he wanted. He couldn't give up, he couldn't 
let Jesus be the one upon whom he was dependent, and so he turned his back. Modern people talk as if the ideal life, the ideal sort of freedom, is freedom from constraint. But I wonder, when we really look at lives that thrive, is that really the best way to live? Is that really the kind of life that brings contentment and joy, completely unattached? I don't think so. I think the healthiest life, and this is the kind of life portrayed in the Bible, is a life that has both boundaries and freedom. We human beings are creatures of habit. We want freedom, but we also want habits. We want freedom, but we also want constraints and routines. We don't like an abundance of choice that never ends. Here's an example. There's a famous study in the world of marketing. It's called the JAM study. It was done by a professor also at Columbia. Her name is Sheena Iyengar, and she works in the business department there. And she did this study with choice involving jams. And she set up two booths at two different stores. At one booth, a little tasting booth, when you walked in, there was a pleasant person there, and there were 24 jams for you to choose from that you could put on a little cracker and eat. 24 jams of every kind. And then in the other store, also a pleasant person, also the little crackers, but this time only six jams to choose from. Here's what she found. More people stopped at the table with 24 jams. And they said, wow, look at that, so many jams, amazing. But then they moved on. More people committed and bought at the table where there was only six jams. We human beings don't like infinite choice. We want boundaries, we want routine, we want habits, both choice and habits, both choice and rules. That study just confirms what the Bible already teaches. In Genesis 1, when God creates the world, Adam and Eve have boundaries. Here is your garden. Here is what you're called to do. Don't eat from that tree. But they also had freedom. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Make music. Write stories. Build culture. Boundary and freedom. It's the same picture of freedom you have in Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, who are the people who have a miserable life? It's the wicked. And who are the wicked? They're the ones who don't care about the law of God, and as a result, they are blown about like chaff in the wind. They do not prosper. The righteous, what are they like? Well, they're the people who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on it day and night, and they are like trees planted by a stream of water whose leaves never wither. They have the roots, and they have the fruits. And all of this ends up pointing to our passage. We are free, but we don't use our freedom to indulge the flesh. We use our freedom to serve others, to show God's love, to love our neighbor. Freedom within boundaries. Okay, so where are we? What's our apologetic? When you're out there in the world and someone calls your faith restrictive and someone gives a version of freedom that says we should be free to do anything, what's our answer to that? 
Is our answer to say, no, you're wrong. True freedom is to follow God's law. True freedom is to love God's rules and dig yourself into God's rules. If you dig yourself into the Ten Commandments, and if you practice every part of the fruit of the Spirit, then you will be truly free. Is that our definition of what freedom is? No, not quite. I've heard many Christians define freedom that way. Freedom is obedience to God's law, but that is not the heart of Paul's version of freedom. If you define freedom that way, you miss Paul's main point. Now, I don't think Paul's ever seen the movie Footloose, but I do think that if Paul did see it, he would have some sympathy with those dancing kids. Why do I say that? I just read from Galatians. How well do you know the book of Galatians? What is the issue? Who is Paul contending with? It's a very contentious letter. Who is Paul contending with in the book of Galatians? Is it people who have this wild view of freedom? Is it people who just do whatever they want? Is it sort of these party animal people who follow their lustful desires? Nope. It's exactly the opposite of that. The people who Paul is contending with in this letter are the most law-minded, law-obeying people you can imagine. It's the Judaizers. The Judaizers are people who think if you want to be a good Christian, you've got to obey to the T every single one of those old laws. You've got to get circumcised. You've got to keep kosher. You've got to go and observe all the Jewish festivals. You've got to do all of the 613 commandments if you want to be a true Christian. They think Paul is the slacker. They think Paul is the libertine. If you really want to understand the heart of Christian freedom, you have to know what Paul is talking about when he talks about indulging the flesh. Now, when I say to you that when you're free, you shouldn't indulge the flesh, what do you think of? My guess is you think of sort of lusts of the heart, right? A person who indulges the flesh is someone who's like that party animal person who sort of goes around and, and does whatever his passion wants him to do in the moment. That's only part of what it means to indulge the flesh. And it's not really the heart of what Paul's talking about in Galatians. Indulging the flesh can also mean being hyper-concerned about the law. A person who is really focused on Sabbath observance and who is judgmental of the people around him or her who are not observing the Sabbath can be someone who is indulging the flesh. Now listen to Galatians 3, 1 through 3, and listen to how Paul uses the word flesh in these words. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's mad at him. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law, by being hyper-focused on the law, or by believing what you heard? He doesn't answer the question, but in Galatians, it's very clearly, you you get it from belief. You don't get it by being hyper-focused on the law. Are you so foolish, he says, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the 
flesh. When the Galatians focus on rules and restrictions, when they dig too deeply in the law and become too focused on the law, they're living by means of the flesh. Galatians 3, 3. How is this possible? Because in both ways of living, you put yourself in charge. In both the kind of lifestyle where you just follow your lustful passions and in the kind of lifestyle where you are hyper-focused on obeying every rule, you put yourself in charge. You put yourself on the throne. In one case, it's your lustful desire that rules. In the other case, it's your proud will. Look at me. I'm the most righteous one. Look at me. Obey every one of those commandments. Wow, am I great. In either case, you're putting yourself, you're putting your hope in your flesh, in yourself. For Paul, you do not find freedom if your hope is in any human faculty. For Paul, you only find true freedom when your heart is filled with the Holy Spirit. When your heart is in Christ and filled with his spirit, then you start to know what it is to be truly free. When we are in Christ, when our roots go down by his stream, and when his spirit fills us, his spirit begins to change our hearts and change our desires and change our compassion to the point that we don't have to think about doing right and wrong. We just do it because we want to, because it flows and bubbles up from the center of our heart. The right is the thing we love more than anything. True freedom in Christ is like a flow state. Have you ever heard of a flow state? It's something that you hear about in athletics and you sometimes hear about in music. Person enters a flow state when they're so engaged in their task, they're so caught up in it that they're just not even conscious of what they're doing anymore. It just flows through them freely, and they do it at a very high level. A violinist wants to play a difficult violin concerto in front of a crowd. Let's say it's Tchaikovsky's violin concerto, a really hard one. And so the violinist practiced for months and months and months on this concerto. She workshops every hard part. She works on the cadenza over and over and over again, polishes it. And the day of the concert comes, and she steps up in front of the big crowd, and she starts to play. And at the beginning of the piece, she's a little self-conscious. She's thinking about her fingering, and she's thinking about her bowing. But all of a sudden, about a minute into the piece, she enters into this flow state, and now she's not even thinking about, she, everything is just happening. She's not thinking about her fingers. She's not thinking about her bows. It's just flowing up from her love of the music and out to the congregation, out to the people out there. And it's a picture of perfect freedom. It's a picture of complete joy. And one of the joys of watching a professional musician down at the symphony is seeing a person enter into that state of utter freedom, discipline, blossoming into this amazing fruit. Paul's saying, this is what life in Christ is like. Walk by the Spirit. Because when you walk by the Spirit, there is no law. That doesn't mean the law is wrong. It just means you're so full of the Spirit, you don't even think about the law. It just happens. Here's another way to describe Christian freedom. 
To be free is to be in love. And when you're in love, romantic love with another human being, are you free by the world's definition of freedom? No. There's all sorts of restrictions. You've forsaken all others. You can't just do whatever you want. You make all kinds of commitments when you're in love like that, but you don't care about the commitments. You are so happy to make these commitments because you love this person and you just want to be with her. You just want to be with him. It just fills you up. That's why when Paul sums up the whole law, he sums it up with love. If you love your neighbor, you fulfill the whole law. If you really love your neighbor, you don't have to think about not stealing from him or not committing adultery with his wife or, or, or not lying to him. You just would never ever think of doing these things because you love them so much. If you truly love your neighbor, you wouldn't have to work or think about doing justice for your neighbor or demanding equality for your neighbor because you love him. You love her. Freedom in Christ is a heart renewed by the Holy Spirit flowing up through us. Let us admit that none of us have achieved that level of freedom. All of us have to be conscious of our fingering yet. All of us have to think about what we're doing and force ourselves to do things. Our hearts don't yet want what they should, and we know it. But we are on our way. If we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit is changing us from one degree of glory to the next, changing our compassions, changing our desires, changing our minds, making us free. Thanks be to God. Amen. Holy Spirit, fill us from top to bottom. We give you our hearts again. Lord, you know all the places where our hearts are not yet filled with what you want for us. But we give those places to you. Water them with your spirit. Water them so every hard and stony place becomes fleshy and full. Put us in your holy flow state so that obeying you and loving you and giving you glory is as natural as breathing to us. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.